Oh, wait a sec. This isn't the intro I'm used to. That's right, Wes. We've got some new stuff we have to tell our people before the real intro comes. What? We do. Some amazing bonus information about the EWP. Wait, wait, you mean those EWP guys are still alive? Yeah, they're still living, they're breathing, and they're recording. They're dropping new content? Are you kidding me? It's real. No. They're doing a lot more than that, though. Head over to the eternalwarriorpodcast.com. Wait, wait, whoa. There's a website now? Yeah. yeah. You web, kidding me? On the web. On the we, on the World Wide Web. That's insanely cool. The eternalwarriorpodcast.com. Check it out. And also, there's a new partnership. Is what? there not? There is. And if you've been listening for a while now, you know how much we love the accountability app called Covenant Eyes. Look, we all know the addicted mind can get around just about any software or internet filter. No matter how sophisticated that filter might be, Covenant Eyes knows this. And instead of having to like stop you from actually visiting something naughty, um, it can do that. But also the accountability component is really important. So basically, if you go visit a naughty website, your accountability partner gets an email stating that you you did access pornography. It allows you to have a conversation about your lost battle and create a plan for success in your next battle. I've used Covenant Eyes for years now. It's on all of my devices and I, I don't know where I'd be without it. So with our partnership through Covenant Eyes, you can try the app out for free for your first 30 days when you use promo code EWP at checkout. Just make sure you're signing in through the through the website, uh, through the web page access. That's EWP, just to dip your toes in the water, see if this is going to be a good fit for you in your recovery plan. You'll really be glad that you did. And now, back to that sick intro. Why do you fight? And why won't you just give up? I fight because I know who I am as a son of God. I'm a warrior. We are warriors. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I am enough. I am a warrior, a son of God. I just fight for our eternal family because I'm worth it. It's like game on. Not going to let Satan win. Satan has been disrupting my life. He's He's been disrupting my plan. And so I fight to disrupt his. That's what I was put here on this earth to do. Let's go. You have to fight. I fight for myself because I want to be happy. I'm just happier this way. Life is so much better. I fight for my mission, not just a cross-lighting and service mission, but for my mission on Earth. Never going to give up. Be a worthy husband and father for my kids. I fight because I know the inherent divinity inside me demands no less. There is no other option. We were born in a war zone. You cannot sit on the fence. And go we shall. And going we are. And going we are. Wow. This is, oh, man. This is the Eternal Warrior podcast. No, no clever beatbox intro this week. No. Nope. No clever, you know, talking about 90s hip hop or pop culture references. This is just the Eternal Warrior podcast. Yeah. Helping young people in their quest for self-mastery, sharing stories from the battlefront in the war against Satan and pornography. Spence, we're coming off a wild one from last week. We had an incredible conversation. Dude, have you ever experienced uh, seeing and being in the presence of a, of a male the size of Brandon? What a male. What a male he was. No, and but Brandon... With his spiritual strength and his power and like yeah. his, his... What I love most about Brandon, what I learned from him is this all in mentality of like, I'm not, I'm not just going to do recovery. I'm going to be the very best at recovery. I'm going to like, 
I'm gonna make it awesome in the words of Cody Haas, right? I'm gonna make recovery awesome. I'm gonna make Brandon, my life awesome. And that's what he's doing. That's what Brandon's doing. Brandon does not does not find fences comfortable to sit on. Mm-hmm. He is all in on recovery and all out on addiction and and everything else that's destructive. Like it was incredible. And for him to to share stories of 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 you know finding love and remarrying and all that good stuff. It just gave me so much hope for, for my future and the future of so many of our listeners. Um, if you haven't had a chance to listen to, to Brandon's experience yet, please, please, please uh, go back and, and do that when you get a chance. Um, and uh, before we, we dive into our conversation with our awesome guests this week, we have a message from our dear friend, Cody Hawes, that we'd like to share with you. Hello, Eternal Warrior Podcast fans. Cody Haas here. So grateful for spending Wes being mentors to so many. If you're listening to this, you may be going through some unexpected pain. I have spent a couple of decades helping people overcome such hardship and would love to be of service to you. From a 10-minute free chat to a full assessment, you can call 385-519-6089 to set that up. That's 385-519-6089. Whatever it is, you're amazing. And of course, you got this. Awesome. If, if you're in a place in your life and your recovery and you're just like, where do I go? Where do I start? I don't know. I don't know what to do here. Um, I've been fighting this for a long time and need some help. Please reach out to Cody Haas. And in addition to that, reach out to us, podcast at lifechangingservices.org. We love to hear from you guys. We love you guys. This is the coolest uh, community of human beings. And uh, we have another one of those amazing human beings from this community in our midst, Wes. Mm-hmm. He is amidst us virtually. And what a blessing to have Jeremy here with us today. What a blessing indeed. Jeremy. Welcome to the pod, man. We've heard a lot about you and we've we've enjoyed consuming some of your content and the opportunity to have you here to share your story with us and with our with our community and our listeners is just we couldn't ask for for anything more. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, well, what brought you on the show? Yeah, go ahead. Thanks for having me. First, uh, maybe don't assume my my planet of origin. I'm not necessarily <laughs> a human. Uh, <laughs> Um, I want to second your message from Cody. Okay. I'm not sure if you've had too many people doing that, but he was my therapist and uh, he, he's fantastic. Um, just in the beginning, I'm uh, 41 years old. I'm from the West side of the country, lived in Oregon most of my life, spent some time in San Diego Um I worked uh, as a prison guard for about 15 years. Prison guard. That's, that's pretty, that's cool, man. I know. Yeah. 15 years. Yeah. What was uh, that like? It sucked. It sucked. That, so I started, I started when I was 25 and um, I had just barely received my black belt in Taekwondo. I had spent some time doing jujitsu and judo and uh, Kempo karate and another style called Haganah, which no one knows what it is. And I thought I was the toughest guy on the planet. I thought 
I thought it was awesome. I wanted to get in there. I wanted to get me some chicken. I wanted to take everybody down. And, you know, I was, I just, you know, for the first couple of years, I, I was the tough guy and it just doesn't stop. They, they, I get older, they stay young and stupid. It gets <laughs> harder and harder. I mean, it, it was awful. You walk into work for 15 years and you have to stay the tough guy. Mm. And I wasn't, I'm not, I'm not a tough guy. And <laughs> I pretended to be for so long that it, it was a challenge. And I, and I started to really, really dislike it. I do have a new job now. I still work in the prison, but I run their store. So instead of, um, you're still getting that chicken. Instead of worrying. No, 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 <laughs> no I'm selling it. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, instead of worrying about fights and other things that I could run into that I don't want to run into, I just have to make sure we have enough licorice and Milky Ways and shampoo. <laughs> you know, it's, there's so much less stress. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. You're not the tough guy anymore. You're like the best friend with the licorice. Are you kidding? You're like, dude, this is my guy. Jeremy's my dude. Now that's awesome. It's good to get to know even just a little bit more about you. One thing I'll say uh, just as part of your own intro is guys check out on YouTube Jay's way. And this guy, this guy's well, we'll, he's on we'll, we'll put a link to, to Jay's intro episode in, in our uh, episode description. Please go in and check it out. Really awesome. Inspirational stuff in there. And, um, I, I guess Jay, let's let's pivot a little bit more to to uh, like your your experience with with pornography, Jeremy. Like, what what's that relationship been like with your life? Can you tell us maybe a little bit about how you first got introduced to to our yeah. our drug of choice here? Yeah. <laughs> so, a lot of times I hear people talking about when they were first introduced. I can't answer that question. I have no idea. Um, I was not raised in any type of religious faith whatsoever. The earliest that I can remember anything sexual being introduced to me was probably around four or five. Pornography for me was always present. It wasn't a thing that I saw and got interested in. It was something I was taught. It was normal. It was, it, it wasn't even normal. It was expected. Hmm. Um, I remember my having a, a, a pornography, I can remember v, VCR, VHS, a pornography VHS tape in the VCR, always there. Everyone knew what it was. There was no, nobody was hiding it. My uncle, he had enough mag, because this was before the time of smartphones. He had enough magazines um, on the side of his bed, right next to his bed stand that were tall. They were taller than the bed. And th there was no hiding it. There was no, there was nothing. It was just there and it was expected and it was normal. That's how I grew up. Um, my, my mother, when she struggled to, because I, I didn't have a father figure, so she would have boyfriends off and on. And whenever we didn't have a place to live or she didn't have a boyfriend, we'd go and stay with this one LDS family. And that was the only time 
that I remember being in an environment where that stuff wasn't all over the place. But even I found it there, you know, because I was always looking for it and needing it and wanting it. For me, it wasn't bad. It was normal. And it was it was almost bad to not partake. Um, my mother, it was not successful, but I remember her attempting to hire a stripper for my 13th birthday. Um, this is, this is just, it's just the way it was. Okay. Uh, so for me, when I, um, when I moved out on my own, I went and stayed with that LDS family that we occasionally stayed with and can i ask you a question about that real quick because because during your uh, it, it sounds like some of those impressionable years when you're living with that family where that type of behavior wasn't expected and i'm assuming probably not tolerated or, or permitted how did it change where you were seeking to access pornography like was it a little bit more sneaky or secretive and how was like in your young mind, how did you equate that with pornography? Like, did you see these people and you were like, why are they this way? Like, this is normal to me, but it seems very bad to them. Or did you kind of maybe realize or, or respect those people and think, hey, like, there's something different about them. What is it about them that is different? Like, what are the things that they do and don't do? Does that make sense? I know I've just asked like five questions at once. I'm just. I do. I do. And the answer is actually very simple. It's church. I knew they went to church. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know anything about their church. I didn't know. I just knew that they lived a churchy life. They were churchy people. And um, at one point when we stayed with them, I took the discussions and I got baptized when I was 13. We, we moved away. So I learned about the gospel, but I did nothing with it whatsoever. We moved away. We never went back. Um, that's how I was introduced to the gospel. That's how I learned about it. But I, I obviously had no testimony, had no real understanding of what anything was. In fact, when I moved back on my own, I went and stayed with them because they were the stable family you could always go and stay with. Um, I stayed with them while I tried to get a job and I ended up dating their daughter. Their daughter became my, my wife. We ended up getting married. But just to demonstrate my level of understanding at that time, uh, with re- religiously speaking, I legitimately, she, she was one of those hardcore Molly Mormon, just, <laughs> she was fantastic. The only reason I got married when I was so young, I got married when I was 20. I wouldn't have married anybody else, but I knew her and I knew she was a good woman. Okay. So that's why I got married when I was so young, but when she told me she will not marry or date anybody that doesn't have the Melchizedek priesthood, I still remember my Bishop's face. When I made an appointment, I waited a week. I went in, I sat with him and I asked, what is the Melchizedek priesthood and how much does it cost? <laughs> that's amazing well, did, did he give you a deal i mean yeah what kind of deal did he cut you I at this know point i i was actually told that uh there's certain rights and privileges and i'm not supposed to give that information out it was uh, a <laughs> I, I got a fair discount no 
Um, That's awesome. That's hilarious. <laughs> I didn't, I did not know what I was doing. And I, and I'm not afraid to say that now, but at the time and for years, I didn't want to admit it, but I just didn't know what I was doing. Mm. It was a struggle. And for the first two years before we were married and about four years of our, the first four years of our marriage, I was working at a place where I had to work on Sundays. So I wasn't going to church. Mm -hmm. Um, We were looking into buying a house and I was trying to find an escrow company for taxes and to ask questions about uh, buying a house. And I ran into a word that is, that I'd rather not say and teach other people about, but um, I ended up finding out how I could obtain uh, my addiction physically. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea how to do those things. Um, I had always just been a pornography and masturbation kind of guy. And I utilized those resources for the first four years of my marriage. I was unfaithful um, numerous times. I, sometimes I would just call the numbers and that would be enough for me. And, um, you know, I was, I was, that, that was the worst time in my entire life in regards to my addiction mm-hmm. between the ages of 20. Cause that's when I got married and about 24 because we moved here and I got my new job at 25. So not only was I very, not religiously, I get, you know, I didn't have a testimony and I which I just wasn't there yet, but I was also a 21, 20, 21 year old young punk who almost all 20 year olds are stupid. So I was in this place where everything was, and I didn't know I had an addiction. I didn't even know what an addiction was. And as I struggled to learn what an addiction is, as I started making mistakes and started, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. And then I do it again. Um, even then it was really, really difficult for me to get to the point where I thought masturbation was a problem. I knew what I was doing was a problem. I knew pornography was bad. I start, I started to accept that. But it took a long time for me to accept masturbation as an issue because of the way I was raised. Um, it was a challenge for me. Well, that's what I was going to say, Jeremy. Yeah. It seems like it's the, the way you were raised and in the circumstances you were raised. And it's like, this is just this is what it is. It's not it, in not some circles. It, in some circles, it's like evangelized as healthy. Right. And natural and normal. And and without that that common understanding of like divine identity, who you are as a son of God. And, and not only that, but who these women are as daughters of God, it, it makes that, that divide that much greater between a gospel oriented mind and and maybe that of the world. So it totally makes sense that you are having some type of conflict of interest. Um, At what point, Jeremy, did you know, did you realize, okay, I actually need to change something like this just isn't, this isn't working for me. I don't want to do this anymore. Like when did that that hit? The the very first time that I was physically, um, that I physically cheated, I still remember uh, the way I felt as I left. Um, 
there, I mean, there's no denying for any rational human being that what I had just did was wrong. Okay. This was not pornography. This wasn't watching a video on my phone. This wasn't masturbating. This wasn't, you know, in, in the secrecy of the shower. This was something that I did and I knew I, I, there was no going back. I, I had destroyed everything and I knew it. I knew that that was wrong before I knew what wrong was. That is when I, I just, I didn't know I had an addiction. I still had trouble rationalizing that some of the things I were doing were really as bad as they were, but there was no doubt that was bad. So that was a, that was a, a learning point for me that I'll never forget. And, um, it's also a learning point for me at this point that I'll never, ever change. I don't think that I would have been able to. Okay. I guess everybody has their own journey, but that was my journey. And I needed to screw up in a way that was so obvious to me that it was bad so that I could see how I got to that point. That's, yeah. that's what I needed. And after that, after about four years, so I was 24 years old, I was still working on Sundays and I'm not going to say, you know, this wasn't a monthly thing. This wasn't, you know, this happened a few times over the course of four years, but I was watching, I was thinking about it a lot. I was watching videos. I was doing a lot of the things that sex addicts do. And um, I came to the point where I was done. I could see that I was not going to get Sundays off at my job. So I knew I needed to go back to school. I needed to get a new job. I needed some way to go to church because I would meet with my bishop every once in a while. And, you know, I'd repent of the everything except the big stuff. <laughs> and uh, I always got the same answer. And, um, that answer was not what I needed. The answer, you, you know, spend more time in your scriptures, say more prayers, try to fast more, see if you can make it to the temple a little bit more often. Um, try to get yourself to church. What was that the answer for somebody that wasn't attending church every Sunday? Sure. But for me personally, I was starting to build a sense of perfectionism within myself that every time I heard that, it just ate at my soul because I, I, I was reading my scriptures. I was saying my prayers. It, it's hard to really recognize that I was doing those things when I tell you the negatives, but I was doing the positives. I'd go months. I'd go all this, I, you know, I'm the one in our relationship that would say, hey, we need to do family home evening better. Or, you know, we haven't had couples prayer for a while. Let's have couples prayer. I was always grasping onto these things and trying to utilize them to pull myself out of this without admitting my issues to my wife. But I was doing those things. I was doing them. Everybody on the planet, including the prophet, can do them better. I, I could have done them better. I recognize that. But it hurt me to hear those answers and to know, you know, that the things I'm doing aren't good enough. So that's when I started to build a little bit of a perfectionist kind of perspective in my, in my own eyes. 
Can I can I ask you something about that, Jeremy? Yeah. Go ahead. In your in your mind, in in your perfectionist mind, did you feel like as long as I am doing, as long as I am balancing everything else out in my life, as long as we're doing good with the little things like consistent scripture study, church attendance, temple attendance, all the you know, all those right things that it whitewashed or balanced out your egregious sins to where you didn't have to divulge or come clean about those things that you'd done. Was it almost like you were trying to compensate for, for what you'd done with, with perfectionism? Is that where you were at? No, no. So I, I can tell you that I understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah. For me, I wasn't compensating. I was pleading. I knew I needed help. I knew I needed to be doing the things that I needed to be doing, but, um, nothing was working. And I knew that I was going to have to confess. I knew at this point towards the end of the, I just told you I was, I was starting to look for a new job. I realized I needed to go to church, right? At this point I was beyond all that. And I knew I needed to fix it. I needed to get to church. I needed to move, get myself out of the environment where I knew where all these bad places were and all this kind of stuff. And that is when I, uh, went back to school. Um, I came home one day and I told my ex, uh, she's now my ex-wife. I told my wife at the time that, uh, we needed to sell the house and we needed to move. And she was mad. She loved that house. Um, but she didn't know why all I told her is I want to go to church. So, you know, she supported that I wasn't going to church, so I need to go to church. Anyway, I found out about my job here in Eastern Oregon. Um, I didn't necessarily need to go back to school or anything to get this job. And I, I worked graveyard. So I was able to go to church. Um, when I moved here again, I didn't have a smartphone. So, the ease of access that I now have that I had towards the end of my marriage, that wasn't there. I didn't know where any of the bad places were around here. And believe it or not, as an absolute master and expert in finding these bad places, I couldn't, they're not here. Okay. There was like two clubs in this one particular area, but I don't, I don't even know why, but I was able to keep myself away from them. I never went in them. Um, So I changed my environment. I made it much more difficult for me to find the types of things that I was doing. I didn't have access like I ended up having later. I was doing really good for the first quite a long time that we ended up living in this area. Occasionally I was able to sneak pornography usage and masturbation in uh, off the computer and, you know, every once in a while, but honestly it was, it, it probably wasn't even enough for somebody to claim I was an addict. I mean, it was so rare. I, I, I was doing great for a while, but it wasn't until t- about four years after that, that I finally went to the bishop, told him everything, and then listened to them and told that was my wife's D-Day. Um, that was when I told her everything, and we started 
that process of healing. Now, this was in 2010. Um, I, I didn't know what an addiction was to pornography at that point. I had no idea. She didn't either. Um, we just kept living life and trying to read our scriptures more, trying to go to the temple more, trying to do those types of answers. And things just kept going as they, as they were until, uh, um, well, I, I didn't know it then, but that's when I started living with betrayal trauma in, in my life. My wife was now hurt and injured and she needed help. And um, I like to talk about betrayal trauma and I like to, to try and give people some education on it because I was able to experience it for over 10 years. Um, she didn't, she, we, neither of us knew. It's not her fault, um, but she wasn't going to therapy. She wasn't getting help. I wasn't going to recovery. I wasn't getting any better. We were just living in hell, and neither of us could really explain why. Um, betrayal trauma can lead somebody to, um, to act in ways that a normal relationship would consider abusive. Okay. And I wanted a normal relationship. I didn't know she was in betrayal trauma. So when she acted a certain way towards me, I would get angry and upset and expect her to act normal. And she couldn't. So this is when our relationship started to kind of deteriorate and destroy. And this is when my perfectionism got really, 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 really difficult. I was trying to live the gospel to the best of my ability, trying to do the things that I could. Um, I've got a list of some of the things that became my reality. And before I say this, I want to make it clear that this was because of a, because of me and my own perfectionist perspective. And because I was living with somebody who was hurt and didn't realize it. Okay. I was not able to watch any Star Wars films whatsoever. I was not able to watch Guardians of the Galaxy at all because of one green alien. I was not able to check any sports scores on Sundays, even while our stake president was sitting right next to me doing that exact thing on Super Bowl Sunday. I was not able to watch the Transformers. I have a I'm a superhero guy. Okay. If you haven't figured that out yet, I love superhero movies and I wasn't able to watch transformers. I wasn't able to watch teenage mutant Ninja turtles. Um, I was Harry Potter was considered witchcraft. I don't know where that came from. Cause that's not sexually related, but that was one of, you know, my life was under this scope of control and perfectionism. Um, we had, I still remember we had a very serious argument one time when we went to our friend's house and the only, they were having a birthday party and the only root beer that was there had caffeine in it. So I drank it. I mean, we argued like it was crazy. I mean, you guys yourselves on your own podcast have talked about some movies, but I mean, 
if I would have watched them at this point in my life, I would have been afraid I would have got kicked out of the church. Wow. I thought, I thought I was bad for even wanting to see Transformers. Just because I wanted to watch that movie, I was sinning. That's what I believed. Now, the, there's a reason that I'm telling you all this. We do not endorse Addiction. Michael Bay. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sorry if I talk a lot. That's why I have my YouTube channel. So you can go there and listen to me talk and just interrupt me if you need to. But um, I did not know that addictions were about emotional control. And I had never even heard that ever. Nobody had told me anything. So I was living in this very tough, tough place to live. And being in that environment just made everything more challenging for me. Every time I wanted to watch a movie that I wasn't supposed to watch, I was now in a, I had a negative emotion that I had to handle. And I didn't know how to handle it very well without my addiction. Every time, you know, my job was stressful and hard. And, you know, now I've got negative emotions and I don't know how to, how to handle them. And then I'm in a relationship with somebody who, you know, things aren't going well. Okay. Um, negative emotions, negative emotions, negative, just being thrown at me all the time. And I was on graveyard, as I mentioned earlier, working night shifts for 10 consecutive years. Oh my word. So that I could go to church. I'm exhausted just hearing that. Holy cow. <laughs> Tired is one of the emotions that is most commonly mentioned with addiction. I didn't know. I didn't know what I was doing to myself. I can see it now. I can see all of it now. But at the time, I just, I just, I don't know what was going on, but I was mm -hmm. trying to do my best and it just wasn't the right situation well, Jeremy, one thing about your story so far that is so interesting to me is you've highlighted the power of of changing your environment and how that can work both for you and against you. That when you moved out to the West or, or up to, to Eastern Oregon, all of a sudden that change of environment really hit a reset for you. And it was so much easier for you to stay away from those from those uh, sources of temptation that had previously tripped you up. But then you paint yourself into a situation where you're, you're so hard on yourself with this perfectionism of don't you dare drink that caffeine root beer because that's, that's grounds for the celestial kingdom or, <laughs> or, uh, and you know, you're, you're working graves and, and all this stuff where your environment is just, taking such a toll on your on your body which is half of your soul right like you you've got the your body getting beat up and your spirit getting beat up from the, these perfectionistic ideas and that's just such a breeding ground for for satan to come in with his temptation so i i guess key takeaway that i'd want our listeners everybody in listener land you know is change your environment but also be aware of your environment at all times right if you understand or if you start to realize, man, I get tempted at a certain time or I have to drive by this billboard when I go to work or I have to, 
um, or I'm going to be alone at this time, like change that environment and notice how that affects your ability to win your battles. So that's a great example of, of doing that, Jeremy. Thank you for, for highlighting those examples. Well, and thank you for allowing me to kind of put that out there. That's, that's the background. That's the negativity part of it. That's the, that's the struggle that happened. Um, I did have a couple of real serious incidents that happened after I moved here. I ended up in an online relationship and I ended up meeting one time with somebody physically. We did not engage. I, I didn't even touch her, but, um, those two things, the reason I mentioned that is because when I went to my wife and confessed those things and brought them up, that's when I was pushed into uh, addiction recovery. Okay. A friend of mine who lived just down the street, best friend of my daughter, um, gave me the white handbook from Sexaholics, Sexaholics Anonymous. And that's where I started. That's where I ended up going. I went through the 12 steps in desperation um, with a sponsor. I, I went through that whole process and it was freeing. I still believe in the 12 steps program. I still attend ARP meetings with my other groups. Um, but it also drove me insane. My ex-wife will still to this day tell you I had to quit. I quit uh, that 12-step program because of the perfectionism aspect in my mind, which at the time I was diagnosed with something that they, he termed it as the pure O, which is, uh, why can't I remember it right now? O, OCD, yes. OCD. Hey, that's yeah, that's what somebody, I got. <laughs> I was told that I did not have the C or the D, just the O. I have an I had an obsessive mind, and I was obsessing over being perfect. Um, and then my wife's trauma and her control issues that were not her fault. Um, that didn't help at all with my obsessing of trying to make everyone happy and doing the right things. This is, this is when I, uh, so I quit. I stopped for three and a half years. I didn't act out in my addiction at all. I had three and a half years of sobriety. Um, I, I, I thought I was doing pretty good. Uh, I ended up watching a couple of, at the end of that three and a half years, um, I wasn't in recovery. Still to this, still to that point, my wife had never went to a therapy session, never even spoken to a, a betrayal trauma group. So she was struggling and her struggles were cast upon me. Okay. So for three and a half years, I was doing okay, but she wasn't. And that, you know, she would say mean things to me. She'd do all, you know, all this stuff. So we had all this trouble in our marriage and I'm trying not to cast anything on her, but sure. it was a hard time. It was a hard time in our marriage. And after dealing with that, I ended up going back to my addiction. I, I, I watched a few videos on my phone. I masturbated and I made a, a bad phone call. Um, over the course of about five months, I probably did that 14, 15 times. And then I admitted 
admitted it, went to the bishop, tried to clean it back up and tried to pick myself back up, get myself back into recovery, tried to get things going, right? Um, that, that, was, that was my train of thought. It wasn't hers. That, that, that was the last straw, and that's fine. She has every right to, to choose that herself. But that is when our marriage ended. <clears throat> so we never went to, you know, we never tried to fix anything. But either way, it was because I was able to get back into recovery and escape. I'm sorry to say it that way, but I was escaping from her trauma. I didn't want to. I wanted to stay there and work it all out and do whatever. But I was able to kind of pull myself away from the situation and just worry about me. And that's when I went from, um, I believed that a warrior. Okay. So sorry. That's when I believed that if you told me I got this, it would crush my soul every time I failed. If you were to look at me and say, you're a warrior, you're fighting, you're doing great. The moment I failed, I would, that statement would hurt me because I'm not a warrior. I failed. I, I, I gave up. I was finally able to learn that a warrior absolutely gets hit in the face, loses and gets back up. That's a warrior. I was able to learn that, but I had to learn it the hard way because I didn't believe it at first. I learned through my recovery process, and this is in one of my YouTube videos, but I was able to look at the statistics. And for me, my freedom from addiction did not come until I was able to accept the fact that I could make another mistake. I didn't believe I could. If I made a mistake, that was the end. I have to be perfect from here on out. That's one of the reasons I had to quit my first recovery effort. I, I just couldn't do it. Um, so freedom for me came when I was able to see that if I fail, I get back up. And that's a victory. Okay. And then I was able to see that I wasn't alone. I believed, truly believed that I was one of like 5% of church members that had a problem. Okay. And now I can tell you that if you look at the data, it's somewhere between 77 and 91.5% of men have viewed pornography in the last uh, 90 days, three months, somewhere between seven, somewhere around 70% of all Christian men have looked at pornography within the last three months. And 50% of religious pastors and preachers have looked at pornography within the last three months. This is data that I was able to find. You're welcome to debate me all you want. That's fine. I don't like statistics. But um, it helped me to realize I wasn't alone and that I wasn't the only person that had this problem. And now... I was okay if I made a mistake. I, I, I got back up. 
instead of hiding my mistakes in the darkness and then making another mistake and another mistake and just compounding it with the shame circle because I have so much shame that I acted out that it would make me feel bad and then I'd act out again and then it'd make me feel bad so I'd act out again. I just, that, I started to win when I started to understand that losing was part of the process. Ooh. Yeah, like I, I think Spence and I have both realized that as as well. Like we we're no strangers to perfectionism. In fact, I think it's it's one of the promising traits that I notice in in young warriors that are starting in group is like they want to do it right. And it takes some time. It takes some losses and some like and, and you can't maybe you can learn it without having to go through it, but I sure didn't. Um, and I'm grateful I didn't either because it helped me to realize like the journey is what's valuable, that the atonement ransoms me, but my job as the recoverer or the recovery <laughs> is, is to be mortal and to just do my best and let the Lord take the rest. And it's hard when you're reading Matthew five forty eight. And he says, this is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, be ye therefore perfect, even as your father, which is in heaven, is perfect. That's daunting and scary, right? That's what the atonement's for. The atonement has a purpose, and it's not for perfect people. I, one of the things that I like to say a lot is that I'm the fat guy in the gym. Okay? If you are... You know, if you're doing great and your life's wonderful, that's good for you. I'm happy for you. Congratulations. Okay. You're fit. You know, you're over there bench pressing 480 pounds at the gym. That's fine. But I'm a fat guy in the gym. I'm not a fat guy at McDonald's. So leave me alone and let me figure out my problems and how about maybe you get up and teach me how to do a set here and there? Mm. You know, just an analogy that I have. No, I think it, it plays perfectly off of that perfectionist mindset of even just that gym example. Like I'm out of shape, so I don't belong in the gym, right? I don't want to be seen unfit or... Uh, yeah, I've got these, I'm sinning, so I shouldn't be in church. Like, whoa, 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 wait. No, 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 that's the purpose of church. That's the purpose of gym, is this process of just trying and getting better instead of this, I have to do, I have to do everything perfect. And if I don't, then I've lost and I, it's over. It's a, it's a finite, like, it, there's no other opportunity. Another thing that Jesus said in Luke five is they that are whole need not a physician or they that are fit need not a gym. <laughs> right. <laughs> they that are like, fit, they don't live here. Yeah. Okay. We're, this, we're this all is, sick. We this all is need earth. help. Yes. Right. You assumed at the beginning of this, that I was an earthling. Okay. <laughs> I, I am an earthling. I live here. And that means I'm imperfect. Okay. It means you're imperfect. Stop pretending that you're better than me. Mm -hmm. I'm imperfect. 
I'm not going to pretend I'm better than this person. I, I wish very much that we could talk openly about this so that other people will stop feeling like they can't talk openly about it. Oh, man. And we, we still have that admonition in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount to be perfect as Christ is, that no unclean thing can dwell uh, in the presence of our Heavenly Father. But how do we do that? Moroni 10, last, the last chapter of the Book of Mormon, verse 32, says, Yea, come unto Christ and be perfected in Him, and deny yourselves of all ungodliness. And if you shall deny yourselves of all ungodliness and love God with all your might, mind and strength, then is his grace sufficient for you that by his grace ye may be perfect in Christ. And if by the grace of God ye are perfect in Christ, ye can in no wise deny the power of God. That perfection that we are held to, that we are commanded to attain is only possible through the grace, mercy, and merits of our, of our Savior. And how do we qualify for that is we just come unto him. We just learn of him and strive to be like him. And as we do that, we can't help but love him. I know we give everything. Sorry, we give everything to him. As we go through this process, the fears, the worries, the concerns, the resentments, all that 12-step addiction stuff, all of the trials that we went through, all of that, we give it to him, we let him have it, and then we are free. I have received more blessings in my life within the last year that I could, that I could possibly explain. And I don't, I don't know how I like, I make YouTube videos. I put out YouTube videos about a bunch of different stuff. I literally can't make it. I've tried. I cannot make a YouTube video about my blessings. I don't know how, I don't know how to explain how in the world God has given me so much crap after everything I've done. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. I have a absolutely fantastic fiance. I'm going to have a son, a step, step son who's got a heart of gold. I've got two beautiful daughters that I love with every ounce of my soul and they still love me. Um, I've got a job that's a million times better than the job I had a few years ago. I, 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 I'm sitting here doing what I told you I can't do, but I just, I have so many blessings and I'm so thankful that I'm so thankful that I screwed up because that's my path. That's my path. That's the path I had to take. And I'm not going to change it for anything. I wish I didn't hurt people. I wish it wasn't so hard, but I don't get to wish you were talking about Christ. He's the one that his will, it's his will, not mine. And it, it, his will was hard, <laughs> but now I can see it. And I'm just so happy about where I'm at now. So blessed. You've highlighted so many golden nuggets, Jeremy, that I am like, my mind is, it's, it's a, so cool how, as you've told your story, how many amazing principles of recovery that you've shared about betrayal of trauma, about perfectionism, about vulnerability, about getting help, about um, just all the things. I believe right now that every addiction recovery meeting should fill a basketball or a football or a baseball stadium. Every one of them. Because only the men 
the boys and the men to stand up and say, I have an issue and I'm going to fix it. Okay. These are warriors. The ones that have the actual drive to get up there and just say it. I have the same problem as 91.5% of every man on this planet and I'm going to fix it. I, that's, that's where I'm at right now. And I don't care what other people think. I, I realize that there's some stigmas and there's some stuff that comes with sex addiction, pornography, and masturbation. But I needed someone to talk to me. I needed someone to admit that they had the problem so that I didn't feel like I was a dirty, disgusting idiot. No one did. No one talked about it. I was the imperfect guy sitting in elders quorum with everyone else in their fancy suits and looking like apostles. I say that in my video on YouTube. I, I, I just, I felt so out of place and I'm sorry, but it's such a common problem and it is a problem, but it's so common that it shouldn't be so hard to talk about it. It just shouldn't be so hard to find help. I, I'm grateful for where I'm at now and I want to use my story to, to just let people know that you can do this and it's okay that there's a this to do. Mm. The, the, just do it. Awesome. Yeah, Jeremy, it's um, your story, your, your testimony, um, your experience has has lifted me tonight uh, recording this. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for being willing to be vulnerable and and talk through this because it has been amazing. And then just to just to add to what you said about um, you know I don't deserve this right. All the I think that's where why this this beautiful I think that's why. Jesus Christ is, yeah, he's the best because he, his grace goes way beyond. It's not because we deserve it or because we did any, any particular thing. It's because he wants to give it to us. He wants to, uh, yeah, he wants to help us. And it's just beautiful the way you've described it and how you've experienced his healing power. Um, Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you. So, Jeremy, I think to pull this amazing, uh, you know, your story together and this amazing experience here tonight, I would love to hear, you know, one of the best questions ever and want to hear your answer is why you fight, brother. Why you won't give up? Why does the warrior, Jeremy, not give up? I fight for three main reasons. I want to be the best son that I can be to my heavenly father. I truly want to be the absolute best son that I can be as imperfect as I am. That is my, that's what I'm striving to do. I want to be a good husband and my journey to learn what that means and how to do it 
has been very difficult. But I fight because I want to be a good husband. And I fight for my children. They are not going to see a sex addict that gave up. I'm not going to give up. I love that, man. Jay's way. Jeremy, you are awesome. Seriously, we are so humbled and grateful that you'd take time to share your story with us and with with the hundreds, if not thousands of you that are listening. Um, like you, you, you can't you can't help but change when you orient your life to do so goes back to some of the structural things we were talking about before. And I'm sure Jeremy would be the first one to tell you, like he, he did it. You can too, you know, like, or he's doing it. We're all doing it. We're all in process. Right. And through the mercy and merits and grace of Jesus, we're all going to make it back. But all we need to do is just seek that help and, and come unto him, do those things, you know, have the hard conversations divulge your 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 situation you know like confess what you need to make amends where you can and make resolve to be better and the best way to insulate yourself from future lost battles is to get involved with with a recovery team that can help you and that's what life-changing services is here for that's what folks like cody do and so if now if at this time during our this podcast or any other time when you're listening or you just feel like, man, I, I need to take that next step, lifechangingservices.org. Seriously, it is just that easy. Um, like, this is a, a podcast, so you guys can't see us, but Jeremy, Spencer, and I are in three different time zones. You know, we live in the greatest time that the world has ever known for connectivity. All right. And as a result, we also have some unique challenges that we have to face, you know, like, Pornography is a lot more accessible now than it ever has been. Um, but the opposite is true, too. We've got so many tools and weapons at our disposal where we can fight back. And I like if you live in an area of the world where you can't, you know, drive to a, a group, we've got online options. You know, we've got so many things at your disposal to where you can fight and fight effectively. Um, yeah, like, Jeremy, what has your Meta Moroni group done for you? They've opened my eyes to an answer that's beyond read your scriptures more. They've explained to me what an addiction actually physically and chemically is. They've given me tools that I can use beyond giving everything to the Lord and letting him handle it. I now also have some tools that I can use to help me do that physical things I can do to just give me a better chance, knowledge to give me a better chance and support, support. And not only that, but they've given me an avenue to, to put myself out there and stay out of the darkness. I aspire in, in the in the program, there's something called a, a personal warrior trainer who meets with you and helps you to get started in the group. I aspire to become one uh, as soon as I can, as soon as I can. But you'd be a good one, man. Ooh. <laughs> there, yeah, it's not easy to to do, but I'm going to 
try and come up with the ability to do it. Jeremy, the way you just described what group has done for you, I'm like, anyone listening that hasn't tried it, I'm like, what? You have to. Just do it. You have to. It is the bomb. It is the coolest thing. It's not, this isn't just for youth. And I mean, if if you've sat in the addiction recovery program and you have felt like maybe it's fantastic. I love it. But if maybe just a little bit more, maybe there's something, I did both. I did the addiction recovery program and I did Metamorona. I still do both. And I feel like I need the 12 steps desperately. And I feel like I need the Metamorona knowledge and accountability and support just as much as I need those 12 steps. So that's what worked for me. And, you know, if you really want to win, you're going to find what works for you. You are the man. Thank you for coming on, Jeremy, again. Thank you all for listening. And we love you. Uh, reach out to us, podcast at lifechangingservices.org. And please check out Jay's Way. This is the coolest. Jeremy. On YouTube. Go on to YouTube. YouTube. Yeah. On YouTube. I know. <laughs> I know. Why did you name it Jay? Is that like a just for your? I, I think I called you Jay earlier in the podcast. <laughs> I, that's Jeremy is my actual name, but Jay has always been my nickname. So Jay is Jay the, the street cred. Yeah, and my uh, yeah. my tag on YouTube is is going to be awesome Jay's way. So go there, and awesome you know the guy, the guy that you'll remember for being awesome. That's me. Cool. That's good. (laughs) Cool. Appreciate you, Jeremy slash Jay. Love all (laughs) you listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time.